Welcome. This is the Woodbury Church of Christ Sermon Podcast. We're glad that you tuned in, and if you'd like to know more about our church, you can find out all the information at woodburychurch.org. Or we'll see you some Sunday, Sundays at 10 a.m. Looking forward to it. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. My name's Patrick. I'm one of the ministers and box carriers here at the Woodbury Church of Christ. I'm going to tell you about this in just a minute. We'll let you know what's going on there. Hey, glad you're here. Glad you're spending your holiday weekend at church with us. You get extra bonus points with God. He told me to tell you that. Thanks for not being out of town. I'm really glad you're here. Um, We are in part four of our series on generosity. And it'll be so nice after this Sunday not to have to be generous anymore. I mean, this has just been a grueling marathon, and I'm just so glad we're done with it. Uh, I do think that we hear the word generous and we think money. That's what we think. We think like, "Uh uh-oh, preacher's trying to get in my wallet. That's what our brains do, this kind of interpretation thing, uh, when we hear that word. And of course, we've been trying to make the case that generosity is more than money. You can be generous and you can be stingy with anything. I mean, there's all kinds of blessings that you have that you had nothing to do with in your life and you can hoard them or you can share them. There's a whole list of stuff that we can be generous with. Our money, uh, our time, our energy, our attention, our patience, our kindness, our affirmation, our forgiveness, our hospitality, our stuff. Now, I think when we see a list like that and we think of generosity, we tend to think of, like if if you were going to rank it in terms of importance of like what's really important to be generous with, we would say uh, most of the, these things are important to be generous with, but stuff, not, not really so much, not generous with stuff. I mean, that's so far down the list. Like who cares? Who really cares about our stuff, right? It just doesn't really matter. I don't know if you notice this, but sometimes we've just, those of you that have been church for a long time, if you've grown up in church, you probably don't realize it, but you've heard verses enough, you've heard ideas enough, you've heard concepts enough that you reinterpret them in your brain without even thinking about it. So a person can say a word or read a verse and you just know exactly what that means because you've heard sermons on it, you've heard classes on it, you've read it, you've thought about it, you've meditated on it. And so your interpretation, you hear that verse, your interpretation goes right to one place. And I think we do that with the topic we're talking about today because most of the verses Maybe almost all of the verses that we think of that where Jesus talks about generosity, he is not talking about our money. He's talking about our stuff. He's talking about generosity with our stuff. More than anything else, he talks about generosity with stuff. For example, the rich young ruler, his problem wasn't money. Did you know that? That's kind of a weird thing to think about. His problem wasn't money. You're like, well, it's right there in his name. He was the rich young ruler. Yeah, but his problem was stuff. When Jesus talked to him, he said, go sell your stuff. And he's like, nah, I don't want to do that. That's not for me. The problem was, was stuff. Or think about what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures. Now, of course, when we think of treasures, or when I think of treasures, I think of Scrooge McDuck swimming in pools of gold coins. And I don't have to worry about that because I don't have any sort of treasure like that. I can't toss around dollar bills. I don't have any coins that I can swim in. But, it, but notice what he actually talks about. He says, don't, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy. Well, what do moths destroy? Well, they, they destroy your clothes. That's what they destroy. What do vermin destroy? I don't know. I'm not even sure exactly what vermin is, but I think it's like rodents and mice and groundhogs I found out today are a vermin. Is that true? Groundhogs are a vermin? 
Yeah, they destroy your yard. And he's saying, don't store up your stuff because that stuff can't last. It just simply cannot last. He's talking about your stuff. Or think about the first Christians. I mean, this is everything that every good Christian grew up wanting to be, just to be like that early church, just to be like what they were. And notice what he says. All the believers were in one heart and one mind. No one claimed any of their stuff was their own, but they shared every stuff. Everything was shared. Jesus talks about stuff way more than money. Now, of course, they didn't distinguish between stuff and money like we do. If you had lots of stuff in the first century, you were rich. That doesn't seem to be true today, right? You can have lots of stuff in 2023 and be dirt poor, right? But you have lots of stuff. In fact, sometimes the more stuff somebody has, the poorer they are because they spend all their money on their stuff. So, of course, when we think about stuff and when we think about money, we've kind of got it all wrapped up in, uh, in a couple different things. One time I had this brief conversation with someone who uh, was from a less economically advantaged country. And they asked me, and I don't remember how the topic came up, but they asked me, uh, how many cars did I have? How many cars do you have? Like, well, at the time, we had two. We only had two drivers, so we had two cars. That's pretty reasonable, right? That doesn't mean anything. You're not rich if you have two cars. And this person, their eyes went big and looked at me, and they're like, well, are you rich in your country? And I'm like, no, no. Well, what, what do you do with your two cars? Like, how do you, how do you maintain them, protect them? Well, I, I parked them in my garage. You have a place to store your cars? Well, actually, it's a three-car garage, but tell you the truth, we can't always park the cars in the garage because the garage is too full of stuff. Yeah. What? I mean, you must, you must live in a mansion. No, 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 we don't live in a mansion. I mean, well, how many bedrooms? How many people have to sleep in a room together? Like, well, I mean, everybody's got their own room. Everybody has their own room? What? You are rich. And according to their economic standards, I was. Now, we may not be money rich, but we certainly are stuff rich. And that's what Jesus talked about most anyway. I want to read through a fascinating interaction Jesus had with a crowd of people and consider what that means in terms of our heart. Because this is weird to think about, but our heart and our stuff have a connection. Our heart and our stuff have a connection. You know, when somebody messes with your stuff, it kind of hurts your heart. Because your heart and your stuff, or when you have stuff that's really valuable, and then all of a sudden somebody breaks it or does some damage to it, or maybe you have children and you had a nice couch and it's no longer a nice couch because they're messing with your stuff. Don't mess with my stuff. Jesus had a huge crowd. The text says, Luke chapter 12, verse 1, the text said many thousands, so there's no definitive number. But he had this huge crowd, and he's teaching these many thousands of people, and right in the middle of his teaching, he's just talking away, you know, doing his normal Jesus thing, saying, hey, everybody, you need to love your neighbors, you need to, you know, you need to provide for the poor, he's doing all that. And some guy from the crowd shouts out, like, hey, teacher, tell my brother to share the inheritance with me. Right in the middle. Can you imagine? I mean, that would be more disruptive than a cell phone going off during church, right? That would be pretty disruptive. You're talking about one thing, and all of a sudden this guy comes in from left field with another thing. Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, this is not a Q&A session. This is not Jesus saying, hey, does anybody have any questions for me about uh, money, about stuff, anything, anything they want uh, us to talk about? No. This guy is bringing up personal business in front of the crowd, and it's kind of like that couple that argues in public. It's just always awkward for everybody because you know that if it's bad enough that they're arguing in public, that it's probably pretty bad when they're not in public. 
It's ugly. And even inheritance today, even inheritance, inheritance disputes is a huge legal business. There's actually a word for it. It's called contentious probate. And there's entire law firms that dedicate their entire uh, law firm to resolving inheritance disputes. And it's always ugly. There's not an inheritance dispute between siblings or family members that's not ugly. It's just always, it's always bad, contentious probate. So consider what's motivating this guy in the crowd that he's shouting out like, hey, make my brother share the stuff that our dad, our parents had with me. Consider what's motivating that. I, I think the fact that he's asking in public means that he thinks Jesus and the crowd are going to be on his side. He feels strongly about this. He thinks he's in the right. He thinks it's not fair. He thinks he deserves this Stuff. And it's a, it reveals a presumption that most of us had. I have. I certainly have. And the, the presumption is that more stuff, more anything, is better. This presumption that if we have more of it, somehow it's better. And I know there's trends towards minimalism now. And that's it's not a bad thing. But we have this presumption just kind of built into our minds that somehow more is better. So this is a weird disruption in the middle of his teaching, can you imagine Jesus is like trying to tell people about how to be redeemed, how to be saved, how to be forgiven. And this guy's like, hey, make my brother share my stuff. And how is Jesus going to handle it? You know, it's like if we had to bring a ladder out in the middle of services and there were people climbing on it in the back. You know, how do you handle a disruption like that? Well, you just call it out. It's exactly what Jesus does. He just talks about it. Luke chapter 12, verse 14, Jesus replied, man, who appointed me judge or arbiter between you? That he said to them, watch out, he said to the whole crowd, because he is exempt. this is not a good example, this is a negative example. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Jesus is teaching one thing, just switches topics to teach another. He's probably got a lot on his mind. He's like certain members who I get done preaching, they always have a little extra sermon uh, for me because they've been thinking about what I've been saying. He just switches it up. He's got, he's got wisdom about all this stuff. Now, I bet you this brother never once considered that he was motivated by greed. And so when Jesus said, hey, watch out for all kinds of greed, and he doesn't say it, but like this guy, I bet you that guy was shocked. Like, wait a second, I'm not being greedy. This is what I deserve. This is what is fair. I earned it. I need it. I want it. I deserve it. And it's this more thing. And I bet you he was thinking justice. He was thinking happiness. But he was not thinking greed. And so when Jesus calls out greed, it's, it's surprising. Now, Jesus says something here that I'm not kidding. And I know this is going to sound silly, but it will change your life. Or I guess I should say it can change your life. Like today. Like not, not, not down the road, what you really ruminate about it. But like today, you can walk out of here and your whole perspective on life can be transformed by what Jesus says. I've been, because I've been preparing for these sermons, I've been thinking about this all the time. And it's been so helpful because it's applicable constantly. In the society in which we live, what Jesus said is you can use it every second of every day. You ready? You ready for it? You ready to have a tool in your back pocket that you can use? And it's not just for you. You can use it for your family members. You can use it against your husband. You can use it against your wife or your kids or your neighbors, anybody. It's a great thing to have as a tool in, in, in the battle against stuff. Simple, profound. This is what he says, Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Yeah, yeah, just less of a reaction than I was kind of thinking might happen there, but that's okay. <laughs> Jesus said, life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. This is so good. Here's how it works. 
And you can really sound sanctimonious when you use it, too. That's really, that'll really get people on your side. Your kids are in the toy aisle of the local store, and they're like, yeah, can I get, can I get, and of course, it's just plastic junk, right? It's all just plastic junk. Can I get, can I get, and you can just take your child, and you can put your arm around their shoulder, and you can say, let me, let me guide you in some wisdom from on high. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. That's good, right? You can use it with your kids. Or how about you have a spouse that every, every marriage has one or the other. I tend to be the hoarder in our, in our relationship. Karina is the get rid of her. I don't know what the opposite of a hoarder is or what the word should be. Uh, Karina, the, the kids will paint her a picture or give her something that they've written lovingly. And she will say, thank you very much, Marie Kondo style, and then put it right in the trash. Like right in front of them. And I'm like, that is brutal. That is tough. I have stuff that my kids wrote me from when they were the, I just keep it all. Just keep it all, but she's very brutal. But what you can say if you have a spouse, if you have a spouse that's not good at this, here's what you can do. If they like to collect, you have a spouse that likes to collect things, especially big things like, I don't know, power tools or house plants or coats or something like that. You could just, next time they're like, you know, they're on Amazon, I really need this. You could just say, honey, just really just add the sanctimony to it. Honey, has Jesus reminded us? Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And then finally, let me give you this one little last piece of advice. If you forget someone's birthday, this is a great verse. I didn't buy you anything because as we all know, as our Lord and Savior said, life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Now, you can use this to be stingy, right? But that's not what it's about. It's, it's about the heart. And it's not about saving money. It's not about minimalism. It's about what's going on inside us that's really profound. And this is the truth is that Jesus says. It's a very simple truth. More does not equal better. More does not equal better. Now, now, now you guys knew that. Everybody knew that. We knew that. But what we, have, what we don't do is we don't make that calculation in our head because there are moments in our lives where we think the good life is right on the other side of something more. It will be there if I just have more of that, whether it be money or stuff or something else. The good life will not come from more. It's never from more is what Jesus is saying. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. More does not equal better. But humans, I don't know if it's because we're wired this way uh, or if it's because we grew up in a culture and we're indoctrinated this way, but we don't even make this calculation. It feels like we've got this internal algorithm as sort of our base code. Uh, It's that more would be better. It's why siblings um, just go crazy if they think their brother or sister got slightly more ice cream than them. You have never seen such exact measurements, such a precise cutting of the cake than when it's divided between siblings. No wonder this brother is saying, hey, make my brother divide the inheritance with me. We've got this idea that if they got more, then it's better for them. Something is better because we just think that. We don't even think about it. We just think it. It almost feels wrong to settle for less. Imagine if your child was like, I would actually like less ice cream than my brother or sister. You'd be like, who are you? Where did this come from? I mean, what, what is going on? My, uh, <clears throat> my parents, um, 
owned an apartment complex in Vermont. I told you my dad is an international man of mystery. You just don't know what he has done or what he will do. It's just always a surprise. And we don't even know. We just don't even know half the time. But he owned an apartment complex in Vermont. And every once in a while, people would just bail on their apartment. You know, there was something going on, something shady, something scandalous. And so they would just bail and they would leave all their stuff. I remember one time somebody, and this was back before giant flat screen TVs were very cheap. Now you can just pick them up, it seems like, anywhere. But back before, when they were a real luxury, somebody had just ditched a giant flat screen TV. They probably weren't done paying for it, and they thought, I'm getting out of Dodge. And so they left it there, and my dad would have to handle all that stuff and usually resell it or pick what he wanted out of it. And he was telling me about this flat screen, and I don't know, at the time, I felt like he told me it was about an 800-inch TV, just like the best thing ever. I'm sure it wasn't. It was probably like back in the day, you know, 60-inch or something like that. It just seemed huge, like the size of a wall. And I was like, well, why, why didn't you keep the flat screen? Why did you sell the flat screen? And he, this is his quote. Can you believe a human would say this about a flat screen TV? He said, nobody needs a TV that big. Well, that's where you're wrong. I do. I'm your child, and you could have just given it to me. At the time, and I'll tell you this, and he did this for a long time, he used a Commodore 64 monitor to watch TV on. This is well past the tube TV end of an era, and you know how big the screen was on the Commodore 64 monitor? 13 inches. Yeah, you would ha he would be watching the Andy Griffith show about two feet away from the screen. And I'm like, if you had a 60-inch, you know, just saying. He's, he called it decadent. And it's so funny to think about that because who turns down more? If, if there's more to be had, why would we ever turn it down? Can you imagine going to a store and you, you, you have, I don't know, a candy bar or whatever, and then they just say, hey, it's buy one, get one free, and you say, no, thank you, I would just like one. Who does that? We don't even think about that. Of course, if it's free, I'll take more because we naturally assume that more is better. The good life will come from more. Our, our thinking is so easily manipulated about more, and, and the marketers play into it. It's just more. Upsize that? Yes, it's only 99 cents. I would be losing money not to. A guy named Victor Lebo, I read this article this week that I just thought was incredible. It was talking about consumerism, and uh, he had this quote. He was in support of consumerism, but this quote is just unbelievable. Uh, Our enormously productive economy demands that we make consumption our way of life, that we convert the buying and use of goods into rituals, that we seek our spiritual satisfaction, our ego satisfaction in consumption. We need things consumed, burned up, replaced, and discarded at an ever-accelerating rate. Mission accomplished. This is back in the 50s he wrote that. That's unbelievable. They jokingly called this the economic gospel of consumption. So in other words... There are two worldviews in conflict here. One is the gospel of more, and the other is Jesus saying, hey, life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. <clears throat> We're hearing these constantly. So, of course, Jesus tells a story. He's always got a story. Luke chapter 12, verse 16, and he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded abundant harvest. He thought to himself, I have more. Whatever shall I do with my more? 
Well, it's not even a decision. You just keep the more, right? I don't have any place to store more, so I'll have to figure out how to have more. Here's the person who has more, and of course, more is better. It's not even a dilemma in his mind. So what does he do? He said, ah, I got an idea. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to tear down my barns, and I'm going to build bigger barns, and there I will store my surplus grain. Good thing we don't have that problem, right? I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. This is verse 19. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. It's a little mildly ironic to me that uh, I, I, don't have, <laughs> I don't have a financial advisor because then I, I would have to have financials to have a financial advisor. But I would imagine that a financial advisor would suggest if you have more, figure out how to keep more. That's what I would imagine. Like the, the advice this guy is giving to himself is good advice by the standards of this world. And Jesus says, nah, that's foolishness. That's absolute foolishness. It's a negative example. Now, most of us don't build bigger barns, but in the last 50 years, the square footage of the average U.S. American house has doubled. Doubled. Where did they put their kids before? We're having fewer kids in the U.S. Did you know that? Bigger houses, fewer kids. And at the same time, the storage industry has skyrocketed. As of uh, 2013, it was a $29 billion uh, dollar industry a year, billion dollar industry. That's, that's crazy. I uh, actually know this guy that had four boys. He lives in Woodbury. Four boys. They're all within just a couple years of each other. And I was talking to him, and he was telling me about where he lives. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it's not a very big house. That's a lot of, that's a lot of boys for, for that size place. You know, he lived pretty, pretty near us in a duplex. And he's like, yeah, we only have two bedrooms. I'm like, whoa, are the kids sleeping in the tent in the backyard? Like, he's like, nope, all four boys share one room. And I was like, all right, you know, I could call CPS right now because that seems cruel. And he's like, why, why is it a bad thing for four boys to share one bedroom? He's got a point. We just assume that we all need our own space so we can fill it with our own stuff. What seems sensible to us is foolish to God. Luke chapter 12, verse 20, but God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? Now, he's not saying you're going to die because your barns are too big. You're going to die because your account is too big. He's saying you prepared for the wrong thing. You didn't prepare for what you should have been preparing for. Now, the world is catching up, but I kind of think that they're catching up for the wrong reasons. The world is catching up to the idea of minimalism. That's really popular right now. In fact, there's tons and tons and tons of books and shows about it. So most of you have heard the, the, the Marie Kondo. It's the, uh, the life-changing magic of tidying up, and it's the Japanese art of organizing, right? Cleaning and organizing. You've seen, you've seen the show, and it's like, oh, thank you for your stuff, and then throw it away, right? You've seen that, so you can feel good about your stuff. Those shows are fun to watch because you see somebody who basically had a hoarder house, and then you get done, and you're like, ah, oh, I wish my house was like that, and you don't clean your house up. You just watch the next show, the next episode of the show. <laughs> so Marie Kondo, I mean, this... This book sold 13 million copies. It's a lot of books. <laughs> Peter Walsh is this Australian author, and he's written seven books. I know there's eight there, but one of them is the same title. He's written seven books on how to declutter. That seems like too many books, right? Because where are you going to put all that? That stuff. Seems like too many books. And then my favorite one, this is just recent. Uh, this is my favorite. 
the gentle art of Swedish death cleaning. You know what that's about? That's about preparing your stuff for when you're dead so that your family doesn't have to do it. In other words, I haven't read the book. I haven't read any of these books, to tell you the truth. I'm just telling you what I think they say. <laughs> Get rid of your stuff so your family doesn't have to. So your family doesn't have to. I think that's great. I did notice that none of the titles, not a single one of the titles in the self-help decluttering minimal section were like, hey, this is the American way of minimalism. None of them. They're all the Japanese way, the Swedish way, Australian author. None of them are the American way of less. Why? Because that's not our way. That's not how we think. Now, I think they miss the point that Jesus is making because Jesus isn't really concerned with your space or your feng shui or whatever it is or your clutter. He's concerned with your heart. That's what Jesus is concerned with. And Luke chapter 12, verse 21 says, This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Now, the next 11 verses in this chapter, uh, you're probably familiar with because they're very familiar to us if you've read the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 and 6. It's a kind of a repeat of that, but it talks about anxiety uh, related to your stuff. It talks about anxiety or worry related to how we're, who's going to provide and how, how often do we keep stuff because we're like, well, I'm going to need this stuff. Do you really need this stuff later in life? This box right here, do you know what this box is? It's stuff, but it's not random stuff. Yesterday, I knew I had a, a couple boxes like this in my, ad, in my garage. Yesterday, I went in my garage, and I opened up this box. And you know when I stuffed this box full of stuff? It's about 1998. I put stuff in this box when my wife and I moved from Enid, Oklahoma. And I took this box and I moved it to a storage unit in Iowa. And then I moved it inside our basement in Iowa. And it sat in our basement in Iowa for six years. And then some unfortunate church in Minnesota said, hey, do you want to come be our youth minister? And I said, yes. And I packed up my, un my box that I had never unpacked. And I put it in a trailer. And then I put it in a storage unit for a little while until I got an apartment. And then I put my box in the garage of my apartment. And there it sat for three years. And then, for some crazy reason, we were able to buy a house, and I packed up my stuff, and I put it in a trailer, and then briefly put it in a storage unit, and then unpacked that storage unit, and then I put it in my garage on a shelf, and then yesterday, I got this box down off the shelf. Do you think there's anything in here that I need? <laughs> now, <laughs> it's funny, because I was like, man, I'm going to bring that box up on stage, and it'd be a really good symbolic gesture just to, you know, walk right out to the dumpster and throw it in the dumpster, but I better take a peek at what's in here. <laughs> There's a lot of, like, family photos and stuff, so <laughs> it's not a great illustration because I am going to have to go through it, but I, I've had that box. I, how, what, what year, how many years has it been since 1980? Has it been 25 years since 1980? I've had this box unpacked for 25 years. Original dust on it right there. <laughs> stuff. Why? Why? Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. I told you my wife is much better at this uh, than me, but she found this quote that she liked so much and she made so known that she liked so much that a friend of ours turned it into a piece of wall art we have at her house. 
Um, and it's just a simple statement. That's just a different heart towards stuff. When you have more than you need, build a longer table. Invite people in. Invite people to share. Give it away. Don't build a higher fence. Not more security systems. Not more keeping people out. Figure out how to use your stuff to benefit others. God blesses not to hoard, but to share. Not to hoard, but to share. And so here's the simple challenge for us. And it's going to require rewiring our thinking. Because some of us may be intending to leave here and go to a store and buy stuff. And you should just stop and say, is this, does my life consist of this thing? Or you should go into your garage and see if you found your box that you've been holding on to for 25 years. Anybody else have a box they haven't unpacked in a few moves? All right, just me and one other person. All right, well, we'll chat about that later. We'll have a support group. God blesses. We believe that God blesses. God gives us abundance. God is an abundant God, but he blesses us in order to share, not in order to keep. We're going to ask our praise team to come back up on the stage, and they're going to sing the song, I Surrender All. And I think it's such a good song because anytime that I've sung this song, I've not thought about stuff. I've just thought about, like, you know, my defenses and my pride and my all that. But that, this is part of what we're doing, too, is that we're surrendering this need to fill our lives with stuff. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Would you stand and sing with us?